Morning, guys. Morning. I need to uh, register a complaint. I do not want to be asked to follow Brother Louie in the future. <laughs> that is not cool. I was sitting over here looking this way at the row of kids and all of their faces were like right on the screen and digging it and I'm thinking they may not be that excited while I'm preaching, I'm not sure. But I just have this feeling that that could happen. So, hey, welcome guys. This, this morning what we're gonna do is we're gonna kind of pick up where we left off. Uh, a few weeks ago, we started going through the book of Acts in a really different kind of way. If you've been around Grace Fellowship for any amount of time, you realize that it's uh, common for us to either preach through books of the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, beginning to end, or um, in between those books of the Bible, we will do um, series that are, that are um, based on topics. So we do topical series that are also straight out of the Bible. So whenever there's somebody standing up here, whether it's me, one of the other pastors, a guest preacher, whoever, whenever there's somebody standing up here, you can be sure you're gonna need this book because we are going to be teaching from the word of God. We may be teaching verse by verse through a book. We may be teaching topically out of those books. Or we may be approaching it uh, in a little bit of a different way, which is what we're doing here with the book of Acts. We're actually doing the book of Acts in a different kind of way. We are not going beginning to end verse, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Instead, what we're going to do is we're going to take the book of Acts topically, and we're gonna look at several different mini-series within the book of Acts, and we're gonna be bouncing around, and the book of Acts is gonna be sort of our takeoff place, and we're gonna be going to other passages of scripture to help teach the principles that are in the book of Acts. So through the whole thing, when it's all said and done at like 7,000 weeks from now when we finish all of this, you're gonna have a great sense of the general overall teaching of the book of Acts, but we're gonna do it in a way that is a little bit different, at least for me, a little bit different. So we're in the first series from the book of Acts right now, and this series is called Co-Mission. Um, you see, there's a difference between being on a mission for God and being on mission with God, right? Now, if you are old enough and you remember the 80s, um, you, or if you're so old that you can't remember the 80s, Jim, um, <laughs> then, then you will remember there was a popular movie, the 80s, that I refer to often when I talk about mission, and it's the movie called The Blues Brothers, right? And uh, now... <laughs> Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not suggesting everyone run home and watch the Blues Brothers. Um, I'm just saying I've seen it a thousand times. And um, in this movie, you have these two brothers. What are their names? Jake and Elwood. My goodness, I was counting on you guys to be more culturally adept than this. Okay. So you have Jake and Elwood Blues, and they believe that God has sent them on a mission, right? They've got to get tax money to the uh, tax collector in time to save the school, and the nun sends them, and they're on a mission from God. And so because they're on this mission from God, they do all this crazy stuff and there's nothing but chaos and they blow things up and they run from the police and they drive through a mall and smash things up and all that kind of stuff. And I say, wow, that must be what God's plan is for our lives <laughs> or not. See, there's a difference between 
being on a mission that you think is for God or from God, or being on mission with God. See, God has not sent you on some mission. I hope that's encouraging to you. It doesn't thrill my heart to think that God hands me an assignment and says, go change the world. Because I'm not able to do that. I'm not capable of doing that. But I can tell you this. If God invites me to go with him while he's changing the world, I want to be a part of that trip. So there's a difference between being on a mission that you think God sent you on and actually being on a mission with God. So, so let me ask you a question. Uh, and you don't have to answer this out loud. We'll do group participation later. But just think about this, right? Think about this for a second. Why did Jesus come to earth? It's not like he didn't tell us. He gave us multiple answers to this question. Now you're sitting there, you're racking your brain. Why did Jesus come to earth? Why did Jesus come? Aha, the Bible says Jesus came to earth to seek and to save that which was lost, right? If that was your answer, you get 10 points and a gold star. Congratulations, you're right. Or maybe your answer wasn't that. Maybe you're thinking Jesus came to earth to give life and that more abundantly, you too get 10 points on a gold star. Or maybe your answer was, he came to earth to give his life as a ransom for many. And if you said that, you too have given a biblical answer, 10 points on a gold star to you. Or maybe you're thinking, he came to pay the price for our sin on the cross. And if that's what you're thinking, 10 points on a gold star to you. Or maybe you're thinking, he came to defeat death for us by raising on the third day. And if that's what you're thinking, 20 points and two gold stars for you. Because Easter is my favorite day. All of that is comprised in his mission. But he didn't just come to save a few. And he didn't just come to save one generation. And he didn't just come to make some kind of a small splash in Middle Eastern history. He came to start a movement. A movement that would span the entire globe. A movement that would go from generation to generation so that real life, eternal life could come to people in every time and every nation of every tongue and every tribe and every language across all time. That's what he came for. He came to start a movement. Jesus came on a mission, but the mission didn't stop when he returned to heaven. When he ascended to heaven, the mission was just getting started. That's why in Acts 1, we looked at this for the last couple of weeks, in Acts 1, verse 8, he says to his followers, and you will be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the uttermost parts of the earth, right? And if you don't know the um, geography of the area, they are in Jerusalem, right? It's the middle center of town. And then uh, Judea is the surrounding region. So if Jerusalem was Los Angeles, Judea is Los Angeles County, right? And Samaria. Now, Samaria is the bordering area that borders Judea, and yet it's filled with people who are not like them. They're a little bit like them, but a lot not like them. And then if you go even further out, you go to the uttermost parts of the earth, where there are people that they couldn't even imagine. Just remember, this is 2,000 years ago. 
People of different skin colors, people of different cultures, people who live in faraway lands across oceans, people that God cares about, that God wants to reach. And so he starts this movement so that a whole world can be reached. That's why in Acts 1, he tells them, wait for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon you because when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he will bring you power to join me in this mission, to change the world for eternity. Let me show you what I mean. Take your Bibles. We're gonna need these. Uh, You're gonna be jumping around with me in the Bible today. Matthew chapter four is our beginning place. And in Matthew chapter four, I just want you to see this. This is so interesting to me. Matthew chapter four, beginning in verse 18. Now, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. This is where I get this uh, statement I'm always making. You've probably heard me say before that Christianity is way less about uh, where you are or even who you are as it is about where you're going, and who you're becoming. Jesus says to them, follow me. Don't stay where you're at. Come with me. And as you travel with me, as you walk with me, something transformational is gonna happen in your life. I am gonna transform you from being what you were on the day that I called you to what I created you to be. You're going to be transformed in this process of actually walking with Jesus. Follow me, that's where you're going. Fishers and men, that's who you're becoming. But don't miss the key. Jesus didn't just say, go do great things and report back to me. He didn't just give them an assignment. He didn't just recruit servants who would do his bidding for him. He called them into a relationship with him. And it was in the context of that relationship that he would do the transforming work in their hearts and he would, through them, do a transforming work in the world. It's not a great mission. In fact, it's known throughout history as the Great Commission or Co-mission. It's not something we go on or something we do on our own. It's something we do as we walk with him. Or maybe it's better said like this. It's something he does through us as we walk with him. And so some of us are intimidated by the idea that, wow, just because I'm a Christian, I mean, when I went to church and I didn't know the Lord and I went to that uh, Harvest Crusade or I came to Grace Fellowship or I went to my friend's house and he told me about Jesus and I got so excited about Jesus and I accepted him as my personal Lord and Savior, right? And I was sold this idea that you're gonna have a wonderful life and you're gonna get to spend eternity in heaven with God. You will never have to die because you know Jesus. And I said, sign me up. And once I was signed up, then they started telling me about it's my job to go change the world. 
Maybe you're thinking, you know what? That's not what I signed up for. I didn't sign up. I don't have that ability. I don't even want to go and do that. That's not what I'm about. And you get intimidated by this idea that you're supposed to be living your life on a mission with God. And what I'm hoping to do in this series called Commission is to take away some of that intimidation and to help us understand what it's actually going to be like to walk with Jesus and let him do something amazing through us. All effective ministry is about relationships, all of it. And it all flows out of our relationship with Jesus. Now think about this. Last week we talked about this. We saw Matthias, right? He was named as uh, one of the apostles and we sort of scratched our heads and we said, why do we even hear about this guy? He never did anything. We never heard anything more about him. Uh, He's just named as an apostle, and then we went, oh, maybe he's named as an apostle. Maybe Luke records this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit so that we will understand what it is to be qualified to to be a follower of Jesus, what it is to be qualified to be a part of the mission team. What qualified him? It was his personal experience with Jesus. That's what made it possible for him to be on the mission team. But he's not the only one. I I think one of the great trivia questions for Bible readers is who was the first Christian missionary in history? Uh, You don't know his name, but you probably know his story. Let me set it up for you. It was a dark and stormy night. (laughs) Right? Jesus and the boys are out on the sea And just like what happened to us at Grace Fellowship today when we were planning indoor and outdoor service and we checked our phones and the weather said it's going to be beautiful and we went, the weather man's a fool, right? Because just like always, he got it wrong. He did not know it was going to be raining and so we can't have our outdoor service today. They got in a boat headed for the other side of the Sea of Galilee thinking it was going to be a beautiful night and suddenly it became a dark and stormy night. In fact, Jesus is asleep in the boat and things get all chaotic and crazy and they think they're going to die until, as you know, Jesus stands up and tells the wind and the waves to calm down and suddenly it becomes like glass on the Sea of Galilee. Galilee and the, and the sky clears and he calms the storm, right? So they finish going across the sea. They beach their boats on the other side and as they get out of the boats and they begin to walk up the sand toward the little hillside that is there, they see on the hillside a mist-covered graveyard. Boom, boom, boom. And you think, okay, this is no big deal. He just calmed the storm. I mean, I don't know how you feel about mist-covered graveyards, but that's not my idea of where to hang out. And it's okay, though, until you start hearing screams coming from the graveyard. Now, I'm just going to be flat-out honest with you. I'm walking by a mist-covered graveyard, and there are screams coming from the graveyard. I'm running away not to find out who's screaming. If you're screaming in a graveyard in the middle of the night, in the fog, then you're on your own. I'm not helping you. That's the deal. But out of, this, out of this fog and, and out of this mist comes this screaming man. He's, he's bloody. He's got chains hanging from his arms. They tried to chain him up, but the chains wouldn't hold him. 
He's possessed not by a demon, but by a legion of demons. And you have this conflict between him and Jesus, right? And and Jesus ultimately casts the demons out of this man. And for the first time in God knows how long, this man sits down at peace because the demons run into the pigs, the pigs run off the hill, and we all laugh because they're not kosher anyway, right? And And so this guy's sitting there for the first time calm and at peace, right? That is where we're gonna pick up the story in Mark chapter five. So if you're in Matthew, just turn right. Mark is the next book. Go to Mark chapter five. And beginning in Mark chapter five, verse 18. He's just cast the demon out of this guy. And here's where we pick up the story. As he was getting into the boat, he being Jesus, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him. Hey, Jesus, I want to come with you. I mean, wouldn't you? (laughs) Wouldn't you? And he did not let him. But he said to him, go to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And look at verse 20. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed. Guys, the gospel has perhaps no greater tool for reaching the lost than the changed life of somebody who's walking with Jesus. He had always been tormented by demons. His life was a living hell. He lived in the graveyard. And now he's at peace. And now he's filled with joy. And now he has hope. And now he has a future. And now he goes home to the people who knew him before and yea, verily, verily, they freaketh out. And they say, what happened to you? And he goes, it's not a what, it's a who. Let me tell you about this guy, Jesus, and what he did for me. And the people were amazed. And this same theme is repeated again and again throughout the Gospels. As you may have heard, uh, Christy and I bought a home this last month, and uh, so we're being ushered into the, the world of home ownership, which means I've had to discover, I don't know if you guys have heard about this, but there's this store called Home Depot. <laughs> I had no idea. Uh, it's huge. And, and apparently, th- they, they, apparently people buy stuff there. There's like tools and wood for the very rich. You can buy wood. Um, and, and just aisle after aisle of stuff I've never seen before. I'm like, I don't know how you use this stuff or what it's for or anything. And I wander into this store and I'm like Dorothy in the Emerald City. I'm looking going, I, I don't know what I need. Let me tell you what I needed. In our house, every door opens up against the wall. And so we had those little boing things that hang out the wall, Right? That's the official name, doing things, right? And so our little doing things, um, about half of them are missing the little rubber head that goes on the top, 
right? So you open your door, it goes smashes into it. I'm good with sound effects. So anyways, um, I go in there and I know that I need about a dozen of these um, rubber caps for doing things. And so I walk in and I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm lost in the aisles. I'm like, there's, there's PVC pipe and there's barbecues and there's skill saws and chainsaws and lions and tigers and bears. And I, I'm, I'm just lost. But praise the Lord, there's a man in an orange vest. And so I go to the man in the orange vest and I say, can you help me? And he says, yes, I can help you. And I say, okay, here's what I need. I need the little white rubber caps that go on the end of the doing things by your door. And he goes, okay, probably like aisle 9, 10, 11, right down there, somewhere over there, you'll find them down there. I'm like, okay. So I called Uber and had him come pick me up and take me down this long aisle. I get down to aisle 9, 10, 11. I start looking, I'm like, well, there's toilets here. That doesn't seem right. And then I go to the next aisle. I'm like, oh, there's garage cabinets here. This must not be what I'm going. I can't find these things. I'm completely lost. And then by the grace of God, just before I begin to die of starvation, having been there for over a week, I find another lady in an orange vest. And she looks at me and says, are you lost, little boy? And I said, yes. And she says, let me help you. What are you looking for? And I tell her, I'm looking for the caps that go on the end of those doing things for your door. And she says these words, come with me, I'll show you where they are. Oh, her name is Janice. She's my new best friend. I gave her a thousand dollar tip right there. This is the best. She takes me to the place, she picks up, she goes, well, there's gray and there's white and there's beige, which ones do you want? And she hands them to me and then she says, now come with me, I'll show you where the checkout is. (laughs) It was the best. You're like, okay, why is he telling us this story? Because you know what? It's one thing to tell somebody about something, it's another thing to take them to it, right? On this commission that God has called us to, he calls us to bring people to Jesus. I I love Philip in the New Testament. Every time he appears in the gospel, if you don't know who Philip is, he's one of the 12 apostles. He He doesn't make the Mount Rushmore of apostles. He's just ahead of Matthias, like who's Philip, who's Philip? Every single time Philip's name is mentioned in one of the gospels, you know what he's doing? He's bringing someone to Jesus, every time. Go to John chapter one. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. In John chapter one, we're gonna pick it up in verse 35. This is right at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. Again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, speaking of John the Baptist. And he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, Where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. 
One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found first his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which translated means Peter. The next day, he purposed to go into Galilee and he found Philip and Jesus said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida of the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. And all of those men that were just mentioned became members of the 12 who were the beginning of the movement. And how did the movement begin? By someone saying, come and see. I'm not just gonna tell you about my doctrinal convictions. I'm not just gonna tell you about the things that I think are wrong with society's belief system. I'm not just going to post on my social media account. I'm not going to just stand on the corner with a bullhorn shouting at you. I'm going to invite you into a relationship with Jesus and with me, and I'm gonna say, come and see the one who has transformed my life. We live in a world filled with options. It's like a giant Home Depot store out there. And yet with all those options, people are still hopelessly lost. The Eurythmics had it right. I've traveled the world and the seven seas. Everybody's looking for something. Now you can thank me that that song's gonna be playing in your head for the rest of this time. <laughs> Others are like, what's a Eurythmic? Don't worry. <laughs> That's why Jesus didn't come to preach a sermon or even to simply perform a redemptive act as important as that was. He came to start a movement because it is universally true in every era, in every time, in every place, in every culture, everybody's looking for something. There is an emptiness inside every person that desperately needs to be filled and can only be filled by a personal relationship with Jesus. And they're not going to come because they read about it on somebody's Facebook post. And they are not going to come because they saw a billboard and they are not going to come just because uh, some preacher preached something. They're going to come primarily, 99 plus percent of people who come to Jesus do so because they have a relationship with someone who already knows him. How are they going to find what they need? These people who are looking for something. Let me uh, take you to Romans chapter 10. We're bouncing around today, stay with me. In Romans, which is after Acts and before you get to 1 Corinthians, go to Romans chapter 10. We talked about these verses in some of our grace groups this week. Listen to this. Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes resulting in righteousness and with the mouth 
he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? All right, this is the point where you're starting to nod off. This is the point where we have to do some group participation. All right, ready? Get ready. Here we go. I expect you to participate. If you don't participate, I will pull you up on the stage and make you participate. Okay, here we go. We're going to just do an exercise together, okay? Everybody point at the screen. All right, good. Everybody point at the tech team in the sound booth and cheer for them. We love them. Everybody point at the drum set. Everybody point at the preacher. Wrong! I set you up, right? How will they hear without a preacher is the question that Paul gives us in Romans 10. How will they hear without a preacher? And we go, yes, that's why we pay a preacher. And God's word says, you're the preacher. I know you don't dig that, so let me back it up. If you look up that word in the Greek that says preacher, you know what it means? One who proclaims something. He's been telling us all along that we have something to proclaim. And how will they hear unless we, the preachers, proclaim it? Now, now listen, um, let me give you some examples real quick, right? I'm going to get controversial. Here's one about a woman preacher. You ready? Here we go. In John chapter 4, we don't have time to look it up. In John chapter 4, there's this woman. She's Samaritan. She is at the well, right? And she meets Jesus. And Jesus talks to her and tells her all about her life and calls her out and talks about living water and all that kind of stuff. And we're like, okay, this is so cool. He loves even this Samaritan woman who's not living her life right and all that kind of stuff. They have this conversation. And what happens next is amazing. It tells us in John chapter four that she then leaves Jesus, goes into the town and finds everyone in the town and tells them all, come and see this man who told me everything that was in my heart and brings the people of the town out to Jesus, out in the, out in the outskirts. And Jesus meets these people and this town of Samaria gets saved and revival breaks out in Samaria that day. And the Bible tells us that those people believed and followed Jesus. Why? Because this unqualified Samaritan um, uh, sinful woman was a preacher. Or how about the man born blind in John chapter nine, right? This is great for your quiet time this week. Look it up at home. John chapter nine, there's this man who was blind from birth and they bring him to Jesus and Jesus spits and makes uh, clay out of mud, uh, dirt and spit and takes that and rubs it in the eyes of the guy. Now, if there are any optometrists in the room, I'm betting they didn't teach you to do that in school, right? He puts dirt and spit in the eyes of this guy and then says, now, 
Take him to the pool of Siloam and he's gonna go there and when he washes this stuff off, he will be able to see. The guy goes to the pool of Siloam, he washes and now he can see. And the Pharisees go, hey, wait a second. Weren't you blind? And he goes, yeah. And they go, well, how, how did this happen? Who did this? He goes, I have no idea. Some dude spit in my eyes and, and I'm good now. And, and he's, he says, I don't know who he is, but I know this. I once was blind, but now I see. He had a testimony. And, and he shared it and brought people to Jesus. Every time Paul was dragged before the authorities, this guy's a scholar. This guy knows the Bible. This guy is a professional preacher. And every time they drag him before the authorities, read this in the book of Acts, every single time he comes before uh, governors, magistrates, kings, or, or Caesars. Every time he does not tell them a theological story, he tells them a personal story. And he says, I used to be like this, but when I was on the road to Damascus, I met this guy named Jesus, and I've never been the same. And, and even the king says, wow, you've almost persuaded me to become a Christian too. See, it's our experience with him that changes everything. As you walk with Jesus, he will transform your life. Because remember this, you're with people every day. They are not the exception. Everybody's looking for something. And the something they're looking for, whether they know it or not, is in the person of Jesus Christ. And when they see your changed life, they will be drawn to him that he might change their lives as well. Guys, we are in a movement. We're not joggers trying to make up a ground. You know what we're like? We're like surfers. That's mostly because we're exceptionally cool. <laughs> we're like surfers, right? Our movement comes from the wave. Our job is to be connected to the wave. And the wave will sweep the movement along. That's what God's called us to. That's what God has invited us into. And as I said last week, welcome to the mission team. You are God's plan for reaching a lost and dying world. And you have been commissioned for the commission. And I guess the only question remaining is how will you respond to the invitation of Jesus to come and see? Let's pray together. Father, we want to say thank you now because we are astonished to think that you looked through all of time and saw us and chose to set your love on us. It's amazing to be called to be your children. You have gifted us. You have transformed us. You're in the process of transforming us. Perhaps some are here today, God, who, who are just hearing about this transformation. They, they maybe come because they've seen the lives of some people being transformed and they're wondering, is there really anything in this for me? God, won't you please reach into those hearts as well? Won't you touch each one of us wherever we're at and whatever we need? And won't you draw us closer to you? Father, your calling is not a one-time calling. It's a constant calling. Let us ride the wave with you. 
For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.